0: Then we looked at the end product, which is this very squared away volunteer department in a yeah. section of Louisiana that was on its game. They ran a fire with them, and they were like, "Yeah, it was amazing to see." They've got it, you know. They've got it nicked here, yeah. And yeah. like the stuff, like the air unit, like you know, or the yeah. or the water supply, yeah. Unit Salvage trucks. We, I mean, the, the yeah. fact
1: that property conservation is a priority for them, and it not only is it a priority because it's you know um, you know ISO and it helps your rating, but it also Broker is a fantastic relationship with the fire department, and the community. Oh, absolutely. The fact that, you know, when the fire is out, you're still willing to stay and, and do what you have to do to make it better for that person. You win. I mean, hands down.
0: Take it away, Rob. <laughs> hey, everybody, it's Rob, National Fire Radio. We're here in the studio tonight. With Barry Nietzsche's from the New Rochelle Fire Department. And, as always, our host of the most, Jeremy Donch. Hola. Rob spearheading this one tonight. You lined
1: it up. This is your man, Barry, Captain Barry Nietzsche 32 years on the job.
2: And a few years volunteering before that. So. so
1: you've been around been around the block a couple times.
2: A few times. Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. Because
1: off camera, before we even started, we we already been telling stories and uh, trying to get some background on you and... And so, on, and that's what I love. I love sitting down. And this is what this show is all about is just sitting down with guys that we don't know much about. You know, we, we know of you, Rob's done some projects with you and so on, but, um, but for the most part, you know, you and I are, are going to become friends tonight. And, uh, Excellent. that's what this job is all about. And that's what our show is all about. So Rob, you're going to spearhead this one, man. You got some background on this. Let's just roll into it. What were we talking? We were talking about intershoots, right? Yep. Yeah. So let's dive into that. So you you kind of were speeding through it a little bit, and I just want to back up because we are apparatus nerds, and it seems that Europe is typically uh, kind of ahead of the trends in some ways when it comes to the fire service, just in, in a few ways. I mean, we're not talking about those silly helmets, but we're talking about, you know, some other things. And
2: In a few ways. They're, they're following the, us in other ways. And we're I, seeing, know, I know. I'm seeing some U.S. things starting Absol- to creep absolutely. into their world too, I, yeah so. there's
1: a there's a lot of give and take but let's talk about the so you said you were out there and you noticed uh decon decon was a big issue at inner schultz um let's talk inner schultz give it a little background are you familiar okay. with you know go ahead yep.
2: uh so inner is is the largest fire show on the planet um it makes things like fdic and and firehouse shows look small in right. comparison but part of the reason that, that it does that is, is they only hold it every once every five years, right? So the manufacturers have to pull out all the stops, um, and they get an international market that is tremendous. Um, at the last one, they had something like 170 nations, firefighters and and leadership and all from 170 nations or so. It's so wild. Out of 200 countries on this planet. Yeah. So they get a draw that that we don't see in this country. And you clearly see when you're there, there's a draw out of Africa, out of South America, out of out of Asia. Um, you know, it's kind of uh, out of the United States. There's there's a huge draw.
1: Rob, what are we doing next June? By the way,
2: you got to be going to InterShots. I think we're, we're going. going to Germany. Germany. Like I'm okay. We're gonna it's, have to figure
1: this out. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I look fantastic in Lederhosen. We'll start with that. Uh,
2: that probably won't help you a whole lot. At no, this I will. But that's I, a whole other issue. I think
1: of European vacation with Chevy Chase, where he's like dancing in the square, dressed in his leaderhosen. And then he gets beat up by all the guys on the stage. But anyway.
3: All
2: right. So anyway, Barry. So, so I had a, I had a friend a number of years ago who had just come back from it. This is uh, almost 30 years ago. Came back from it and said, you got to go. Right. No matter what, you got to go. And I kept my mouth shut. And that at that point, it was every six years. And I kept my mouth shut and didn't say anything. And about a year out, I suggested a European vacation at home. Nice. And the first thing that, that my wife responded with is, you want to go to that damn show in Germany, don't you?
1: listen it's an excuse to go to germany
2: it was an excuse well the bigger excuse was uh, i got to go to innerschutz that time that was that was literally 25 years ago yeah uh it cost me seven nights in paris to do it wow uh, there you go it was it was well worth it i bet um I bet. we went again uh four years ago it's now in a five-year cycle it's coming up again in june yeah and i'm going back nice um one of the neat things about it besides the fact that it's tremendous and at last the last show, I spent three days there. I
1: uh, is that uh, you?
2: Yeah, that was. Me. Go ahead, no uh, problem. I nothing to answer. It just,
1: this is live, like we don't care. It's no big deal. <laughs> you got to take that if it's a hot call not, or something. No, that's
2: a, someone yeah. just pulled through my backyard. Oh, all right, all right. Um, the uh, but the show itself is so large that it took takes it took me three days without backtracking just to walk the show. I believe it. On top of that. They do live demonstrations, and one of the neat things there they do that they can't you can't do in the United States because of all the litigation and, and those kind of concerns, they'll do live fire stuff right in front of everybody to show you how their system works and stuff. Yeah, you know they do. That's you, incredible. You, you know, you want to learn about extrication tools, do extrication tools. The best one I saw the first time I was there, which was pretty cool, is they had they took uh, two fifty five gallon drums, split them in half. And put them so you had four of them kind of set out on the on the ground, filled with jet fuel, and they lit them. And a guy shows up in one of the, those fire entry suits, the fiberglass suits, right. and he's walking through the fire back and forth to show you how good their suit is. It's like you don't see that at FDIC no. you do, or, no. or any of yeah. the other shows. So it was kind of cool to see those kind of things. You get an opportunity to to actually go up on their ladders and do those kind of, and they're very different. Um,
0: you know, so that's a neat component of it that you just don't get anywhere else do you get the um aspect of that like like meeting other firefighters from other nations is that like what i saw out in fdic was like just an amazing uh concept this is my first year that i went out and it's like people who are just hey it's it's great to meet somebody from new york it's great to meet somebody from iowa or Indiana, or like anywhere else in the country. Oh, oh
2: it's, it's very neat with that. And you do, you definitely meet people from other countries. Occasionally you meet people from this country is, sure. it's, you know, it's, I, I ran it to the last show. I ran it to four or five people that I know who all live in New York, you yep. know, and I haven't, some of them I hadn't yeah. seen in years, Right, but, but you know, it's kind of like, Hey, how's yeah, going? it took so, going to Germany so, to see him again. You know, So that was kind of neat, but you definitely, um, you meet from other places and you see that the job is the same overseas. And the you know the problems they're dealing with are the same. they the way they tackle the job is sometimes very different than the way we tackle yeah. our job, and and sometimes you can learn a lot from that. Just yeah, you know, and sometimes when you learn from it, you learn it's uh, uh, that that their concepts may not be better or may not work here. It's just a different approach to it, and that's very useful sometimes just to see a different way to
0: do things. Sure. I've always found it interesting because we talk about um, encouraging people to think outside the box and we always, especially our young people, right? We want them to not get into this one lane where they're going to blindly follow this one procedure every time and get themselves killed. But then it comes to this international stage and there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of fear sometimes and like kind of, and I don't want to say embracing, but even just considering that when it's out of the box thinking, it's, it's a, it's a different, it's a different way of doing it, but it may have, some validity, or it may get the gears going in a different way for the individual. So I think it's interesting. Well, they to hear have that. some.
2: They have systems there, and just to get, uh, just as a, set, a setup, one of the things they have, which I saw the first time I was over there, and they rely heavily on it, uh, their concept of structural firefighting, and a lot of it's based on their building construction is different than ours. So they tend to have more yeah. content fire than structure. Right. They use a lot more concrete and stone and other things that. So their issue is so. Their idea generally is is a first-in unit really is going to go with a 250 or 500-gallon-per-minute pump and a small tank to make an attack. And instead of building big rigs to handle anything, they use small rigs for most of the calls. And then they have water supply units that can bring in a lot of water, right? a lot more than what we're used to doing. And in some cases, similar things to like the Jersey's got their Neptune system. Neptune system, system, right. 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 FDNY has one of the uh, one of the systems that was built in in the Netherlands. That's designed for it's a hydraulic system that right. moves water. You know, it's, it it's great. And instead of drafting, you're actually pushing water, and you actually have a, like 200 foot lift. You can do on uh, you know you can go up on a suspension bridge and drop down all the way to the river and pull water. So they have some different concepts yep. that are that are very neat and have some application here. It, it particularly I think it, uh, some of their applications towards rural uh, firefighting would be very valuable because they c- they have ways to move water that we don't do yeah. or very, very limited in this country what we do with. And in some cases, the cost factors and stuff, it's actually highly, you know, highly uh, uh, able to do it here if, if we'd open our eyes to it.
1: You know, we have, um, you know, the, the American Fire Service is uh, steeped in tradition and as you know, being on the job for 32 years, plus time before that, things don't move quickly for us to uh, totally embrace new technology and uh, new theory. And now more than ever with the advancement of technology, technology is changing so fast that, you know, never seen before how fast technology is changing. And so the fire service couldn't keep up when when we were slow at, you know, coming out with new ideas and concepts. And now that, you know, today's day and age, man, I mean, it's, you know, your phone changes every, every six months. There's a new technology on your phone or something. I mean, it's just advancing so quickly that, you know, the fire service inherently is one of those industries that is always slow to respond. Always.
2: and some of that is, is general attitude and stuff. Of course. Absolutely. Some of it is, is, you know, we want to go with what's tried and true. And and you look at certain things and you go, eh, I don't know if I want to risk my life on that latest, latest gadget, you know, which is a, Real issue, and some of it is just the the slow process of government and procurement and you know budget and you know so sometimes it's just a matter of I can't afford it now. Maybe in five years yep. I can plan for yep. it, mm-hmm. but in five years that may already be obsolete in in the technology world. But yeah. that's that's a lot of it too, um, and I think a lot of it also stems from we have particularly in the Northeast we have way too many fire departments covering way too small an area, trying to do everything, and they can't. And when you look in other parts of the country where there are larger, consolidated departments, sure. the ability to bring in, you know, you know, FDNY has a couple of drones. Wow, okay, they're a huge department, obviously a ma- mammoth department, and they've got a couple of them. I know other little departments that are, you know, because some guy in the department's interested in playing with drones, and it's a great resource, but now how do you get it to every little department? You can't. Right, yeah. Yeah, the, the You know, close. but on a larger scale and a regional or, you know, a multi-town or some other, you know, maybe you can do better with that.
1: Um, so, wanna, so let's talk about that a little bit. So we're kind of segueing into a whole different area here and maybe a little background on yourself because you've been hitting on a couple things that, that you have some um, experience and knowledge in when it comes to regionalization, consolidation, uh, ISO, things like that. And so maybe we can talk about it a little bit. You know, outside of being a captain in New Rochelle, New York, um, you know, you do run your own uh, consulting company as well, right? Yep. So, do you want to you want to hit on that Rescue Technologies, right? Yep. Why um, don't you hit on that, Barry, and give us a little background so people listening kind of have an idea of where you're coming from. That over all these years, you've had the ability to sit down with many, many departments and, and individuals to help them create master plans and consolidation things like that. So, why don't, why don't we uh, we'll kick okay. off on that for a little bit?
2: Cool. Um, so I start. Uh, um, Very early on, even before I was a career firefighter, I got very interested in technical rescue. Um, I was doing uh, technical rope and and other things uh, very early 80s, long before most were really getting into that. I had a couple of really talented nationally known instructors for for trench and building collapse and other things. So I kind of got myself in a good position very early on, made a lot of good contacts, learned a lot. Um, I was actually on... um, what predates the current NFPA technical rescue standards uh, they started with a building collapse standard that I was on the I was on the committee for that right so I made a lot of great contacts sure. that all became kind of the guys who set up all the uh, the FEMA teams so I learned a lot from that I did a lot of teaching with that uh, in Jersey and in, in Connecticut in New York um, a lot of counties I was teaching where nobody else was Doing anything the state wasn't doing anything there was nothing
0: available well and this was really the the start of of some of this standardized training so like you're kind of at the tip of the spear with it yep so we did we did a lot of that uh we
2: also ended up doing a lot with industry um exxon the bayway refinery and uh, um laid environmental and right. uh, a bunch of other you know that mm-hmm. they're they're very into that because they need to be able to do that in their facilities um uh, got into New York City. Uh, NYPD hired me to do a lot of training for for their instructors, setting up a lot of their programs. Uh, um, New York City uh, 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 DP. We did the, all kinds of sewer training. Right, that was interesting. So, and then we got, and then we got to do the best was just, we got to do uh, um, U.S. Park Service put out a contract to train. Uh, all of their people on uh, rope and confined space rescue on the Statue of Liberty. Nice. So I, I got uh, two years' worth of playing on on the statue, and, which was fun.
0: And when when was this time frame-wise? This was all between
2: early 80s and early 90s. And then New York State decided they were going to fully embrace the... There was a time New York State actually said there's no reason for firemen to know how to use rope. Yeah, I don't know We were kind of shocked. We were trying to push this and all, and it's like... Uh, we don't need it and then they fully embraced it they have a wonderful training program They came out with really appropriate stuff and uh, you know as a private consultant uh, trying to teach this uh, it's hard to beat free so it was time <laughs> to change directions a little bit right um my educational background i have my associates in fire science i have my bachelor's in, in occupational safety and health uh, so i can actually read a, an osha standard and actually understand what it says
1: Oh you're probably uh, the only one.
2: Yeah, just about okay. um and uh, and I have my masters in public administration. So as part of all of that, I started getting involved in evaluating departments. Right. Um and that sort of that was the direction it took. I got uh I ended up doing a couple of ISO reevals for a number of, a number of communities. Um that that built on itself and I kind of um, I'm sort of the go-to guy now in our area.
1: Well, for let's, that. let's talk about the, guy.
0: Okay, I'm sorry. Say too, yeah. One of the nice things about having Barry with this information, like you can read an OSHA standard and like you and I would look at it and just be like, man, we're going to need another beer.
2: I'd fall asleep.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, some coffee, but like. Well, there's a trick first off, so you know,
2: don't read it from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Usually 90% of the important stuff is like the last seven pages of it. And the front is all like why we need this standard. Yeah. And governmental ease.
0: But one of the nice things is, like, and having, like, uh, previously when I volunteered in Rhinebeck, Barry had come up, and it was great just to watch him talk about a standard and then just have, uh, I don't want to say the dinosaurs, because that would be rude to some of the members, but, like, the people who are really set in their ways and, like, watch, I could could watch Barry shift at at the diner and, and shift the gears and be like, well, this is what we're looking at, and break it down into terms for firemen to understand or firefighters to understand so they... They, like now, they have a grasp on the concept of right. why we're going to adopt that standard. And it was just I, I sat there for half of that, just watching people being like, "Well, we shouldn't do that." We're like this. Here's six excuses, and they're all horrible. And Barry just coming in and be like, "Well, but really, what we're trying to say is this. Yeah, like, this is going to serve the community right, better. Right, right. It's going to make it so." I just you know, let's let's talk
1: about ISO because I don't know if everybody knows um, ISO. You know the 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 standards and and what what ISO is. Maybe you can just hit on that a little okay. bit so that people really get it an understanding. I mean, I don't know if every um, young kid that's listening understands what ISO is. Um, I don't even is, I don't even know if that's a standard across the country. I'm,
2: it is. It is. It, it okay. Is. Uh, ISO basically rates every single fire uh, district in the country. Um, in some cases, they rate the districts may have may be split into multiple districts depending. Generally, depending on whether they have water supply or right. not, that's a big Physical one. Water supply, yeah. So you may, and and they have basically what they call the public. Uh, the PPC um, is a rating system of of one to ten. One is the best fire departments, and ten is you have no fire department. Right now, all of this is not based on the fire service. This is based on insurance, and it's basically how the entire insurance industry figures out what their risk is. Right. If they're going to write a policy in community X, and community X is a nine, they have a pretty good chance that if there's a fire in that house, in a house there, it's going to burn to the ground. Right. There's no fault necessarily of the fire department, just there's most of the time to be a nine. You got a couple things going against you. You have no water supply. You haven't proven you can move water because obviously there are rural departments that yep. do a phenomenal job. Moving water, but you haven't proven it to the insurance industry, right? Okay, and uh, effectively your your hands are tied. Then you also have usually large distances to cover. You know, you're talking communities that are rural. It may take you 15, 20 minutes to get, right? Uh, uh, you know, yep. you know, on a good day with a, right. you know with a tailwind, uh, right. it's just the reality of it. Um, the key with ISO and a lot of people, a lot of a lot of diehard fire service hates ISO, because it doesn't look at the same things and what we look at in the fire service, the biggest of which is it does not address life safety. It's about property conservation, period. Right. But there's a lot of good concepts in it that we need to look at, and there's a lot of money potentially in it. So the the real big thing is is because if if you break down fire protection in a community, and you ask most people in a community, What's the cost of fire protection? Most people, including most politicians, will say whatever the budget is for the fire department has the cost of fire protection. Nah, that's the smallest part of it. You also have collectively what everyone is paying for insurance, which fire insurance on most people's homes is anywhere from uh, 500 bucks to about 5,000 bucks, depending on the home and where it is with the rating. Okay, but now add up like in where I live, there's 26,000 homes. Well, if everyone's paying, say, a thousand dollars on it, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money in premiums that is leaving our community, and you hope you never need it. But right, obviously, you got to have insurance. And additionally, construction. So, you know, the three little pigs if I build my house out of brick, it's going to do a whole lot better in a fire. Okay, but it costs more to build it in brick than it costs to build it in, in wood or in straw. Right. Okay, so that's Every another... way to put it, yeah. You know, so, the, so those are... ISO looks at those kind of things and how are you set as a community and ties and your insurance companies then use that to just set their rates. Yeah. When you change your rating, potentially you have a, the ability to change the, the, the amount of money people are paying. And when you add it all up... A lot of times, some of the fixes are relatively cheap compared to the, you know, and, and if you're a homeowner, if you understand this, and and 99.999% of homeowners have no idea that this exists, you know, most politicians don't know, most firefighters don't really know, right. is, do you really care if, if it's coming out of your pocket and going to the fire department or coming out of your pocket and going to an insurance company? It's coming out of my pocket. That's the thing we don't like. Okay. Well, if I could spend the exact same amount of money and more of it goes to the local fire department than it goes to an insurance company, it means, A, if I do have a problem, my fire department hopefully is much better capable of handling it, okay? The money is kept in town. Maybe there's employment in it and other things, but there's certainly the money is kept in town, which is a good thing economically for the community. So, so ISO has some really good features to it.
0: What's one of the, in your experience with this, that... Um what's one of the uh, best turnarounds you've seen as a department coming from like whatever their score was, prior, or the rating prior to, and then them coming in and embracing ISO and like the positives? Of it. Like, Is there a success story out there that you can think oh, there's, of? Oh, there's a number of them. The, the,
2: there's sort of two different ways to look at it, though.
0: Because I always think that's one of the things where people lose, lose grasp of the concept of why the rating matters, and, and they don't ever hear – the success story they hear. We got to document this, or we've got to do this differently because of ISO.
2: Well, there's a couple of things. First off, what it's forcing you to do is, is it's forcing you to be a better department, regardless of their details. You know, they wanna use They want to see more training. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a good thing. You know, I mean, that's you know, they want to see a lot more training. You know, that's a big thing. They want to see pre-planning. That's a big part of it. They want to see that you actually walk the buildings. And not the private home, but the larger buildings in your community that are likely to have a catastrophic fire. They want to make sure you know that building and know what to do when that building's on fire. Right. So there's a lot of good stuff in there. They want to make sure that your equipment is properly maintained. Right. You know, they like they don't <laughs> say, and it's funny to watch when, when you get to apparatus. A lot of departments will sometimes throw ISO at. Well, we have to buy a new tower ladder because ISO said no. ISO doesn't say that. ISO says you got to test your ladder. They don't care if your ladder is 100 years old, does it still work? If it still works, they don't they don't tell you right. it has to Counts. be new. Right. You know, and sometimes people use it or either don't understand it or using it to try to get somewhere with it. But there's a lot of things in there that are good concepts that if you look at the departments that are ISO 1 or 2 departments, they clearly do a better job. Than departments that are not, I and mean, you can just see it in everything they do. And and one of the best examples and I remember reading this years and years ago. Uh, someone in the in the um, in the fire executive program down at the National Fire Academy wrote a study that showed that ISO one departments, even though ISO has nothing to do with life safety, ISO one departments have a lower uh, per capita uh, fire death rating than non. It's just because you're focusing on
0: Proving your department. Right. And I think for us, like uh, when we were we were just recently down in Thibodeau, Louisiana for on-scene trainings uh, burning on the bayou and, and the Thibodeau volunteer fire department embraces ISO. And there was a lot of times where we were going through the rigs and we were finding some really cool stuff. And I remember captain Nick saying, well, this, this here is on the, on, on the truck for rating. And you're kind of like, all right, this is an odd tool, but it's what they're doing. But then we looked at the end product, which is this very squared away, volunteer department in a yeah. section of Louisiana that was on its game and even yeah. talking to some of the instructors who were there previously they ran a fire with them and they were like yeah it was amazing to see like to go like they, t- they, t- they talked about this experience to go running this fire with them and just how they were kind of like oh wow like they've got it they've got it you know they've got it nicked here yeah and yeah. like the stuff like the air unit, like, you know, or the, yeah. or the water supply. Yeah, salvage trucks. We, I mean, the, the yeah. fact
1: that property conservation is a priority for them. And it not only is it a priority because it's, you know, um, you know, ISO and it helps your rating, but it also brokers a fantastic relationship with the fire department and the community. Oh, absolutely. The fact that, you know, when the fire is out, you're still willing to stay and, and do what you have to do to make it better for that person. You win. I mean, hands down.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Now, just to get back to your, you know, how much of the thing, in municipal departments and larger communities, moving one point, you know, from a a three to a two is massive.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: You don't see that in smaller and more rural communities. There you see, oh, my God, they went from a nine, they tackled the water challenge and proved it, and they bump up to a four. Right. You know, so you see a huge gain. Now, they're distance they traveled is much greater they don't get as much out of that distance because there's less rateables, so there's less money involved in in that big jump right there's also some issues with what is your community worth so i have two cities side by side they're they're sort of identical in in population and size but one's kind of a down you know on on its luck and bad shape and the other's kind of a you know high-end city well the high-end city may end up when it moves one point up because the value of all the properties it may see a huge improvement right and they may be able to justify for example adding a lot of manpower to get there because it's going to save a lot of money whereas the neighboring department no matter how much they do they might never get the, you know, yeah. get the financial. Yeah, we got to hire 50 more guys to go up one point, which will save half the money of 50 guys.
1: So so let's talk about this because we do have a wide range of, of listeners and so on. And, you know, when, when you're a career department, you have the ability, typically you have an administrative staff and, and uh, you know, uh, chief officers or captains or whoever that are responsible for the back end, right? And, and things like ISO and fleet maintenance, purchasing and all that stuff, administration, why don't we let's bring it down to the the small town fire chief right there's so much administration that these guys have to tackle these days and and frankly some departments can't even tackle it right but then we then we throw something like this in where the impact of the iso rating directly is tied into what your residents are paying in their fire protection tax for their for their uh insurance ratings right so this is a win. Right. So I, what I want to do is kind of maybe hit on a couple points of, you know, educating the the chief of small town USA or, um, you know, the, the officer staff of a, of a volunteer town to say, one, have you even looked at or know your ISO? Right. Yep. And then two, three and four. What do we do once you know it? Can, it be be, can you better it? Can you do this? Maybe you have a couple pointers okay. or just some yep. things to snowball about that might help somebody pursue a better ISO.
2: Well, to start with, in the communities yeah. that, that have ISO 9s, which 80% of the United States is a 9. Okay. And it's almost exclusively because of either distance or... um uh, um, or lack of a municipal hydrant system
1: domestic water right
2: distance is nothing we can do about that's the reality of rural uh, of rural places that's it is what it is you're not changing that for the most part yeah there's no way to do that um the the water supply though there are lots of creative ways to change your water supply that even ignoring iso take that off the table and just say you know how do you deal with your water supply what are you doing to improve it? And I can tell you that the attitude difference I see between departments when I'm going in and we've talked about this. The departments that will probably improve start off with water supply is our problem, and I've gone into departments rural, you know, not necessarily rural, but certainly beyond the hydrant, sure, sure. to communities where they have money. Community is not a poor community. They have the resources. They're often on a commuter rail line that runs. You know, yeah, it's an hour into the city, but you know, so people there have financial resources, and a couple cases have significant financial resources. I did one project in a town in Connecticut that um, the average house price fifteen years ago in their non-hydrated district was two point four million dollars. Right. So, so um, there's well, the potential yeah. for there's the potential for that, but. What happens is is a lot of times the departments don't consider that water supply beyond what's in their truck is their problem. Are you out there? Do you have a plan to put dry hydrants in if you have sources to, to go to? Um, I've seen communities where there's lakes everywhere, but they're just too far to get to with a hose line. So there's all that water just out of reach. Well, whose fault is that? And the answer is, it's not our problem. As a fire department, is yeah, it is,
0: and and a simple like a, a dry hydrant. What does that like? What does that equate to for ISO? Because now we we can access the water, which should be just the, the the point of it. But to bring it back to the rating, now you've improved the capabilities of that department to protect property. Yep.
2: Well, there's there's two things that occur with that. One is locally, and I mean locally within a thousand feet of that location, and then there's also uh, um, a distance issue, mm-hmm. uh, not a, a community-based issue. The community-based issue is is you need to plan almost every department that does rural water supply does one of two things or a combination of the two things. They either do tankers of some form or another or they do supply line relays uh, or some combination of the two. Um, both are effective. Both have their place. Uh, you know, Some do better in some areas and, and others, but but the issue is, where are you getting your water for either of those systems? The most successful communities have set up so that they never have to drive more than a mile in any direction to refill the tanker or to hook up that supply line. So the thing is, is to start with is taking your community's road network and basically going, okay, what water sources are available in the community? And even if you are not don't have a lot of resources to plan it Okay, in our fire department budget, every year we're going to add one dry hydrant in the, in the district. It may take you twenty years to have a great system, but it's doable. But if right. you don't put in one a year, you'll never get there. Right. So that's the first big thing. And then the other way, if you're not going to, if if dry hydrants are not appropriate because you don't have, a, there's no pond, there's no there's no water there to do that, yeah. is cisterns. And cisterns are a fantastic additional way to do this. Um, uh, There are some requirements specific to doing those, uh, but they're absolutely doable. Um, And there are a couple of communities. There's one rural community um, in, in a rural part of Colorado that was an ISO 9, and without any municipal hydrants, they put in enough cisterns to cover their community. So they never were more than a couple of miles from any of them. Uh, they were able to move to a four. Wow! So it is absolutely doable, and they created a water system that is absolutely 100% reliable every time, probably more reliable than some municipal
0: water systems. And for the fire history buffs, San Francisco still has water cisterns. And so does Boston. Oh, and Boston as well. Oh, that's right, yeah, I just saw a post up uh, from a fire that was down in the Chinatown area, and they had that uh, hydrant set up in the street for the drafting.
2: Yep, so there there, there are places that have hydrant systems that still have, rely on that as a backup, yeah. and, and it's viable. Mm-hmm. For that 1,000-foot area, though, here can be the key, and this may be the financial key for a lot of communities. If you have a small development in a non-hydrant area, getting the development to put one in, it may pay for itself almost instantly to those few properties that are within a 1,000 feet of it because now you can lay a, uh, lay a line to it and now you have a solid water supply for that little community.
1: But- yeah, they do, so we just went through this uh, 10 years ago. Um, and, you know, so uh, my community's is affluent bedroom community outside of New York City and uh, we run between six 700 runs a year, all fire. And uh, we have probably 70% hydrant, 30% non-hydrant, right? We run a 3,500-gallon pumper tanker Uh, first due to the non-hydrant sections. Um, They put in a development of probably a million five to two million plus uh, dollar value homes in a small subsection, probably about uh, eight homes went in. Um, Domestic water was not in that area. However, uh, it wouldn't have been a massive project to get a water main put there. And the town did not fight it. The town didn't enforce it. The town didn't go after it. But what they did do was put in a cistern, a 10,000-gallon cistern at the intersection of the two streets. And Now, here's the God. problem. Yeah.
2: ISO won't give them credit for 10,000. you got to do 30.
1: Yep. Well, hold so I might be a little off on the gallons, but I don't know if okay. it counts. I don't know if it's 30 or not, but I I, I will yeah. certainly. But I am i don't think it's that big. And... Um,
2: I mean, it still helps you when taking care of the area. It does.
1: But, but you know what? Here, here's my problem, right? You have... Uh, large homes, large square footage, large setbacks, that water is, uh, you know, it's there, but we're still laying domestic lines, right? Like we're always relay pumping. We're co- we're always laying, we'll drop 5,000 feet of five inch. You know, we'll have four yep. or five engines in line pumping if need be, because the square footage of a lot of these homes dictates that type of fire flow. And so it's a Band-Aid. I think, um, I, I, I'm, I'm glad we hit on this because I think it's it's a unique conversation that doesn't get enough attention. And I think you're right, though. In communities that doesn't, that doesn't have a, a domestic water supply, you know, there are opportunities there, you know? And I think you're absolutely right. When the builders come in and you don't have other resources of putting in a domestic, you know, system, you know, if cisterns or holding tanks or any combination thereof is available, you know, put the builder on the hook for it. Yeah. Absolutely. What does a cistern, a
0: thirty thousand gallon cistern, cost? Is it? I mean, I don't. Know, it's something so oh, I just... used to know, and off the top of my head, yeah. I don't, just don't remember anymore.
2: Um, you know, if, if you look just as an example, though, is is the, the the fiberglass tanks you see at gas stations getting installed? Those are generally the larger ones, tend to be thirty thousand. So that gives you a sense of how big. Okay, it oh, might be. Telling. I might
1: be off of my number now. I got to find out for sure. There's yeah. a sign. It's placarded. So yeah. I got to go take a ride now and find out.
2: What That's only is. an issue for if you want to get the insurance company to cover yeah, well, it. Obviously, that, it's still anything is better than no water And we there.
1: we have to perform. Uh, we haven't done it in a very long time, so we actually... Um, I guess there's like, in between all the ratings, there's like an A and a B, too, or something. There's like subsections, so you could be like... Because I think we're an ISO 4, but we're an ISO 6 on water supply or something. There's like a two-tiered system well, the, that they well, assigned us. Well, the two-tiered
2: is, is, and it's changed a little recently, okay. but... The two-tier basically traditionally was the hydrogen section and the non-hydrogen section. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, so it, they, they've gone through some changes um, uh, relatively recently uh, that that they now have Xs and Ys and there's some other stuff. It's, yeah. it's a little more involved yeah. to, to square I, away.
1: I, I really like this conversation, though, because it's something we've never really talked about here before, and it's kind of a whole different direction in Animal. And I think there's a lot of people that are listening that – you know, we get a lot more younger and younger guys stepping up as officers these days. And I think the younger, the young, I mean, I was there, I was a young chief and a young officer. And, and uh, you know, you take for granted a lot of just the infrastructure that's been there before you and you deal to accept it, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, we're 30% non-hydrant in town and that's where we're going to be. And, and we deal with that, but there are opportunities. And that's what I kind of wanted you to stress is that, you know, for people that are listening to understand that you have opportunities, you know, there are well, there
2: are ways to better your system. Well, one of the things when we've gone in and looked at departments and, you know, one of the things that we even look at is things like what code related things and, and some departments heavily do work on, on fire code and stuff and others leave it up to the local building officials and others right. to do it. But there are certain things that you should be asking for routinely that should be just part of your you know so you're going to put in x number of square footage they got to provide a water system get that into the local into the local requirements and and then then you don't have to fight it ever again right it's in there you know now maybe it's okay every you know if there's eight homes or there's you know eight times two thousand square foot whatever the pick the number get that in place how about having a policy i like this one this was an easy one that driveways to private residences that are greater than three hundred feet from the from the street, that the driveway that that they can't have a stone wall that's narrower than your trucks. Right. Ooh, what a great concept! We can actually drive down the driveway. You right. know, absolutely. Dopey, dopey stuff like that is easy to get past, and and then you have it forever. And particularly in a in a small community that is about to experience. You know, they can see it. And I've seen this in a bunch of places where development's coming. It's coming. You can you can see them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're four towns mm-hmm. away, and they're moving further and further yeah, out of absolutely. the city. You know, they're going to be here in two years. Well, get that in place. How about having <sighs> that the base road to a development must be paved before they can do any, any framing? Yeah. Uh, I watched a community where they literally drove into a townhouse complex that, you know, would, as far as you could see, they pulled in. And, you know, got 20 feet off the road and right to the axles in mud, and they were done. And I was like, the developer's going to have to pay for the base road at some point anyway, so make him do it earlier. It doesn't change how much he's spending. Force it that he has to do that. Force him that the hydrants, if he's required to put hydrants in, are done before he can do wood framing. You know, so, wow, look at that. There's hydrants at a base road. I can get in there. Maybe I can Maybe I, can uh, I agree, we,
1: we're going through this right now. Yeah. So we, you know, the big thing in New Jersey is real estate is so expensive and there's none of it left. Yeah. And so what's happening is golf courses are being bought up and then they're building two to 300 units on golf courses. And so towns are seeing a tremendous amount of building influx and I'm going through it right now. My first do, a uh, beautiful golf course was ripped up and they're putting in single families, apartment buildings and townhouses,
0: yeah. right? It's unbelievable. But, and there's tons of videos out there now on the internet of these communities going up in flames under construction. Right. And you know, like it, and it's not, yeah, there's a house on fire. And then seven minutes later it's, yeah, there's four houses on fire. You might want to yeah. tell the firemen. Yeah. And they're like, what? Yeah. You know. But so Barry, let's bring it back around. Cause I want to talk about your career a little bit.
1: We've been going on and sure, on here yeah. about ISO and so on, but, um, but that obviously is a passion of yours and that fueled your, your consulting business and, yep. and so on. But as a firefighter, right? I mean, we were talking about it before we started tonight that your first do is going through a tremendous, uh, build out, right? I mean, you're seeing an uptick we, we in are, construction and
2: we are probably proportionally the, the, the largest, the, the you know, the, community with the most development anywhere in this country right now it's it's amazing we have 22 high-rises coming approved uh, anywhere between uh, almost all of murray between like 26 and 49 stories
1: yeah now paint the picture you're how far out of new york city right i mean
2: you're we technically touch the city okay. at, at our right. southern border right um, you know, we're a city, we're 11 square miles. You're north we're, of New York City, right? North of New York City in right. Westchester County. Right. We we've got uh, approximately 80,000 residents. Um, we kind of cover the gamut. Right. Um, we have multimillion dollar homes, we have homeless shelters. Right. Uh, we have the busiest rail uh, commuter rail line in uh, the United States. We have Interstate ninety five. We have marina. We have a hospital. We have nursing homes. We literally have right. a little of everything, which and, is in a small
1: in a small space
2: in eleven square miles right, with yeah. eighty thousand people. So it's, right. it's packed in there, and and it's great from a from a, a career point of view. Is is we get to do a lot of different things, right. is, Which is neat. Um, what's a little frightening is is they uh, from a development standpoint, what they're doing is is they've worked out. Through a lot of different uh, rezoning and doing some other things, they're anticipating approximately a fifteen thousand uh, population increase within five years. Wow! All within one of our re- one of our stations, first new area, uh, all within literally about one square mile. That's it's, incredible. So, so all of a sudden, the amount of planning for all kinds of things, uh, the water system yeah, has to be up to snuff. Uh, do we have enough manpower? How much is enough manpower? You know, there's, you know, there's standards, but there's also, you know, what was the community willing to bear? But on the same note, look, you're going to have to do something because we're, we're, you know, we're going to get hit with this. You know, this is, this is, this is a big boulder rolling downhill fast and we're at the bottom of the hill. It's coming.
0: Uh, I I mean, even I'm just thinking like 15,000, you know, we're working on Fairview. We do EMS. That's 15,000 more people to take care of in a medical emergency, so on top of that, like, because you guys are doing first response EMS yep. as well, right? So you're going to have to factor that into the alarms and even are the ambulance is going to be there to take care of another 15,000 people.
2: Yeah. No, uh, there's a whole host of, of, and, and we're going from, we have, we have a number of high rise. We have, um, we've got two 40 story buildings we've had for 20 years. Right. Uh, we have some others, but all of a sudden now making sure that how do you communicate in these buildings? Okay. Portable radios don't reach the 40th floor inside concrete buildings, you know, and they don't reach inside the stairwells where the guys are operating out of. And, you know, there's a whole series of things as a fire department that we really need to think about is, you know, and and we need to know the code and we need to enforce the code. Right. Okay. The developers, first off, the building code, and it doesn't matter where you are, the building code, uh, as, as one building official Uh, uh, tells me all the time he loves to say this is the building code is one millimeter above being illegal you know when a developer says i'm building it to code yeah well anything less than that's illegal so it's it's the rock bottom you can get away with the issue then becomes how do we as a fire service get additional sometimes concessions which are going to cost them money you know that's a real issue and we may not have the law the code is the law is law on our side to say hey we want a better, safer, stronger, you know, setup. So there's a whole lot of you've got to be involved in that. you got to be involved very early. Um, what we have learned in the process is, is that if, if you get in with the developers when they're still uh, formulating their plan, you know, all they know is, well, we want to build a big building here and this is sort of what we want to do. it is much easier than later when all of a sudden you get no, no, no. We're if the building's designed, we're not changing things,
0: right? Yeah. Well, and I think uh, just to kind of like London have, having the Greenfield Tower fire, like that's like London was is a very, at least in my opinion, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, they're pretty progressive in their fire protection. But this is a a, a city that had a major fire in an apartment building. And like, and I don't know if a code, if it was a code issue or
2: what. Well, there were definitely code issues there, but like, and I don't know whether they met or didn't meet the code. But there, yeah, there were things that were done. I don't know if they were legal or illegal there, but there were things that were done that should not have been done.
0: And, and that's why that's the important part of
2: like why we need to be on top of that stuff because it really, yep. you know, um, the other part of it for us that has been very challenging is is there is a new dynamic with parking of vehicles. In these buildings our existing buildings basically have external parking garages you know some six seven story parking garages but it's just it's a parking garage now we're going to see all the buildings having internal parking so you never see a car they drive in through a a garage Mm -hmm. door and they disappear sometimes down sometimes up sometimes a combination of the two and in a a number of cases they're automated garages
1: that's fantastic though man when i'm leaving just dial it in my car's waiting for me on the front step
2: that's exactly (laughs) i I, I love that but no but i get i understand the challenge posed to it but yeah we went and took a look at some of these systems with you know very skeptical i was going like this isn't gonna work this isn't gonna work this is gonna be terrible you know from a from a general standpoint i'm thinking you know how bad can the rescues be if the thing falls off the racks and things and we get in and start looking going wow this is safer than a regular garage yeah but the fire component of it sure is absolutely frightening. Um, and we've learned, there've there been three or four major fires in the past year and a half or so um, in the United States and in Great Britain that have proven this. Um, we're all still of the mindset of the car is still a 1970s car that kind of burns up and is not a big deal. And they're all plastic. The, we've got electric cars with sure. battery issues. Um, we found out in the process of doing this is is they've come up with high temperature plastics now and they're actually building manifolds out of plastic. I never it never even occurred to me you could ever do that.
0: No. Well, and um I think of like 50 uh, it was 1508 Blodgett Street in Houston. There's a great video out there oh, for yeah. for fire officers but like that was a parking garage fire underneath an apartment building yeah. and I mean it looked it like from the outside the smoke coming the off smoke that of place of it, like that. And then to know that like there are people trapped in that and you couldn't really get a good if you didn't know the first do, which I know that like the guys in Houston are on top of their game. Yeah, but it's like you see this giant wall of smoke just chugging out of this building, and now and you're getting calls that are, there's people trapped. So like, it's game time, and it was just.
2: Well, we're looking at we're looking at this as a what's your approach to this? Because with the automated systems, you're going to have cars that are six inches apart, both sides, right? Six inches front to back. Another one behind that, six inches away, with another row or two above them, six inches above them. They're actually measuring, laser measuring the cars as they come in. So SUVs are on one level and sports cars are on another, so they can get them even closer together as a, as a whole Yeah, system. it's incredible. Absolutely wow. incredible. And the fire load and and the response from the industry is, oh, we'll put 15-gallon-per-minute sprinkler heads, one on either side of the car, that should take care of it. And going, not a chance. Yeah, it especially just, if they're stacked together. Uh, uh, you'll yeah. blow through it, you know. Uh, uh, FDNY had oh. it, uh, an issue out at Bay Plaza where they lost uh, they yep. lost 140 cars, yeah. and they had seven Maydays. I mean, this is we're putting our guys in real danger in these garages.
0: Um, Listen, Henry Campbell, rest his soul. He said uh, he was telling me of a fire, and he said if the 200-something and something sprinklers didn't do anything with this fire, what makes you think we're gonna? Have- Stop it! I
2: mean, yeah, the only thing, and and, and and Henry Henry was the absolute best. I, I miss mm-hmm. Henry very very much. Um, I, I actually have a picture of him as a lieutenant, as a young lieutenant, teaching a nursing school program about fire safety and all. With, with <laughs> my wife as one of the students. That's so I've I've known Henry for literally forever. Um, but um, you're not going to get 200 sprinkler heads. Right. Most buildings are designed for six or eight heads. And they're done. There's no more water. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, there's 200 heads because you don't know where the fire is going to start. But usually if you get more than about six heads popping, the system becomes unusable. Right Now, they had a fire, a uh, really scary fire, uh, 2017 uh, New Year's uh, in Liverpool, England. This is one to go read on and look on if you want to know about car fires. Uh, this one was, there's a there was a great article in... Uh, NFPA Fire Journal, like the April, March, April edition, something like that. Car on fire in an open parking garage. Uh, uh, Civilian walking by, saw flames coming out under the grill. Obviously, there was an engine compartment fire. Called it in. Fire Brigade gets there, and, and, you know, they're a professional city, you know, you know, legitimate response. Um, They get...
1: Uh Uh-oh. It's okay. Uh, keep going. Don't okay. worry
2: about it. They they get in there, and by the time they got there, you know, they knew it was one car when the call came in. When they got there, um, no, there's now six or eight cars on fire, and shortly after that, things started flashing over, and they had to back everybody yeah. out. And when the incident was over, about thirty hours later, they lost eighteen hundred cars, and the structure failed. You know, how do you come back after that when we lost eighteen hundred cars? This was a car fire. One car fire took out eighteen hundred cars. Wow! You know, so so we're and there's no there was no life safety hazard other than the fire department. You know, once they got in there trying to attack it and then realizing, oh, we're in real trouble here. Let's get everybody out. Yeah, you know, and let it let it you know burn and do whatever exterior stuff we can do to try to control it. Um, So our concern is really how do we deal with this inside a sealed building? With potentially forty plus stories of residential sitting on top of it,
1: yeah, for for a department that's running five engines, three trucks, and a couple guys,
2: yeah, you know the same fire, the same fire, two miles away from us uh, on initial reports, getting seventy seven guys, right, and 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 we have thirty one on duty, so it's, it's yeah, you know
0: where. I mean, I just shift gears a little bit. Like, where did you start your fire service career?
2: Um, I started as a volunteer in the town of Americ.
0: And when was that? Uh, Eighty-two, I think. And when did you, when did you get into the career fire service?
2: Well, I was already when I started with the, the, them. I was also riding with the vac. I'd got my EMT, and I was starting to work for commercial ambulance. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, so I was working uh, in EMS, got my medic, uh, continued on that, went down to the city, did some work uh, work uh, for New York Hospital Cornell Medical Center, um, and at that point came to the, I was coming to the realization that everyone in EMS comes to at some point is you better be taking tests or going to school, because while EMS is a pretty good starter job, it is not a career in most places, I mean, There's there's some great exceptions, but Overall, that's not you know you know it never gets better. It's it's a great starting place when you consider uh, you know compared to most uh, most other careers, you can start making a lot more money with very limited training and jump right in. But it never gets better. So oh, yeah. everyone I know at that point was for the most part was looking, taking fire, you know, tests, taking police tests, and because I was already a volunteer firefighter, it's like well I like that route a whole lot better. Um, I took two tests. I took Uh, Nourishell, and I took Stanford, Connecticut. Um, I ended up. I got hired by Shell I ended up off my first test. I got uh, into the academy. I finished the academy, and about three weeks later, Stanford called and said, "You interested in a job?" (laughs) And I had about seven buddies who were all going on in a job there at that point. It was like, "Do Uh, I stay? Do do I I I I want to go through probie school again?" Right. You know. So there was a you know, and and I've had different times during my career. There were a few times I was like, "I should have switched." No, I'm glad I didn't. I should have right. switched. I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. You know, and it you know, that's the the you know, wow, they're all getting promoted like mad cuz they they were having a rush of of senior folks leaving. So all of a sudden they were bumping up and we're not moving, you know, yeah. then all of a sudden we're moving and they're not moving. So right. Like, sure. Okay. It's game. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, so, you know, I, I mean, I'm glad where I, where I ended up and all that. Was-
1: I think what's pretty interesting though, is, you know, just your who you are and what you're passionate about, it comes through and, and you do a lot of that on your job. I mean, you know, outside of the consulting business, you're doing a lot of the planning and strategic planning and buying and, and things like that for, to make your city better to make your guys better make the department better I, I think it's fantastic it goes it's a testament to the type of guy you are that you're very thorough and and uh and so on so uh, kudos to you for that i mean this, it really shows
0: um very knowledgeable
1: so it's nice
0: what are what are some of the like the highlights that you can like if you like is, is there is there particular things that you look back on your career and you say like man like this was this was awesome i mean i like at the, the war stories but like are there certain alarms for you were just like man this was this is a fire that like really changed changed my uh, my perception or helped drive me even further to 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 do better for the career
2: i'm not sure if there were any specific i think there more there, there were incidents where there were problems or something that came out this is we got to do something different and i've been able to affect some of that um one uh, and they don't necessarily have to be a, a true incident that could have just been a little bit of you know Ooh, that, that could have been bad that could have sure. really gone the wrong way and yep. like one of the things that, that that i worked on very heavily um and it's still growing and developing and stuff um we have a system called Efas. um fdny also has it um and and sort of a number of other places um but we do electronic accountability for our members on the fireground, and I can see their radios, literally on a screen. I know who's talking to us. I can see if they uh, if they push a Mayday. I can see what their battery status is. So if we're doing a Mayday, we know you know are they, you know do they have you know are they running out of battery even. So hey, this is going to be a problem. Uh, we can see um, brought into that we can we can see their air supply. I know how much pressure is in their bottle. Um, I know if their pass alarm is going off. Which it gives you, it
1: gives you location of where they are?
2: It doesn't give location. It gives that individual. I get a name. I get an, uh, uh, what the riding position and gotcha. unit is. And we try to track those units, what they're doing. So then we know where they are based on, you know, okay, engine 24 is on the floor above, what'll you know, uh, doing fire attack uh trucks on you know uh, uh, tower ladder 11s up on the roof uh, venting so we have a sense of that we're documenting that's where they are at that point um one of the neat things with it, it's probably the best feature of it is is we can do electronic uh, par checks really quickly and it one of the things that i've seen is in a lot of places par checks are kind of hard to do when you're making progress. I don't wanna to stop to do one of these things because everyone's doing a good job, everyone's working hard. It sort of seems to, it f- sometimes feels like, you know, we're stopping the process to do a part check. And with an electronic part check, literally we announce on the radio, it takes about 10, 15 seconds to set up before you announce it, to set the computer to do it. And you know, you know, all unit, you know, we send out a tone, all units, electronic, uh, uh, electronic uh, c- accountability and, if you key your mic at that point, it changes the color on uh, on each individual on the scene on the on the screen, and you just start saying, boop 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 as everyone's so. So for a nozzleman to yep. just reach up and just go click, he can do that without really taking away from firefighting. Yeah, and I know he's okay.
0: Have you gotten the like positive feedback from? The members of being like yeah this is some like this is easier than what we what we have it i wouldn't
2: say that i wouldn't say that like, it's easier and i don't think that they see that they understand the value of it okay you know i think, I think that's sure. a better way to you know they see it, it's a necessary evil to is everybody okay mm. you know but they know they're okay at that particular moment so you're wasting their time i could be doing something right i get that you know yeah. so so it it I, there's there's I, I wouldn't say there's a real good positive from from but there's no negative from that. And what's neat with it is is we can very quickly see who we're missing. You know, even just they didn't acknowledge, you know, and sometimes guys don't hear that, you know, there's a part check going right. on and that's that's common. But I can very quickly see, okay, these rigs are okay. These are all okay, okay, I got three, four guys I can individually now, you know. You know, identify them, identify call them, call them, call them, and are right. you, you know, right. you okay? Are, are they up on the roof? Tower ladder eleven
1: roof, you know, yeah. Bar okay, whatever, right? Yeah. See the interesting thing, like the par conversation. This is I'm glad this came up too because this is something that's racking my brain. I know on our fire ground, our our boss on the or truck or the re- whatever position you're riding. He's answering PAR because on a fire ground of 50 guys, not everybody's reporting their PAR, right? So your officer of your company, so command will go down the line, you know, whether it's dispatch or, or the, um, or the you know, command or safety or operations, whoever's in charge of the PAR in your department, right? The fire service is all about, you know, initiative and handling jobs. And a lot of those jobs are done by yourself, yeah, right? So we how accurate are par reports when you know your boss is on the other end of the house or outside or you're you know you're on the roof by yourself for yeah. you know and then they're calling your truck you know truck 2 par you got par and the boss the boss doesn't even see two of his guys
2: well even go right? even one step further than that you know you're on you're the officer on an engine you got your nozzleman and maybe you got a, a second guy whatever right. you're in making the thing and you're saying you got par well can you tell me that your pump operator is okay
1: yeah, I mean that's right. That's you know, part, of down the, the box, part of the part, right? You know, absolutely.
2: But but so so this kind of covers some of that. What is this system called? Um, we refer to it as EFAS, Electronic Firefighter Accountability System. That's what FDNY terms it as well. Um, do they use it? Yes, they do for everyone. Yep. Interesting. I didn't know that. Um, and and it's been fun because we've our development with has has sort of back and forth where they're ahead of us, we're ahead of them, they're ahead of us. And a couple of times they've accused us, they've looked at us, you know, wait a minute, you stole that from us. How can we steal it from you? We're ahead of you. We're in a version that's ahead of your version. Right, right. You know, and, they, and it's, well, it's easy. I have three of them and they have 58 of them, you know, or however yeah. many battalions they have. To, how, uh,
1: how was it to implement? Was it difficult?
2: Not particularly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a developmental and we've gone through some ranges of it. And as the technology, and we talked a little bit, technology earlier. And one of the things was, We've gone from the original base system for this required a uh, a basically a car radio set up portably with batteries. So you're talking a forty watt radio with a massive battery, right? Sucker weight about forty pounds to run to hook to the computer to run this. Then Motorola was nice enough to come out with a portable that you can uh, program to do the same exact. How way. does it know your air? um we're actually pulling the air from the air pack side um so scott you as a system so scott has a
1: system and your and your handy talkie has a
2: system yeah and the next level which we're working on right now is is to bluetooth the two together um there's a couple of different ways to transmit yeah. stuff and do some stuff and so we're still playing with i love this man uh, the, other I thing, love the latest version like which none of my guys have seen yet but but uh, i've been playing with it uh, it's it's ready to almost ready to go is where we can make phantom companies. So, for example, you came off engine one, you came off engine two, and I'm going to assign you to go do something. I can create a company on the screen and put the two mm-hmm. of you in it so mm-hmm. I know that's where you're doing and what you're you're up to.
0: Which is awesome for a volunteer fire service. It's awesome for any Anybody, department. But like that's, even, yeah.
2: even as a career department, what we find is is the longer you're at the fire, the less company integrity you have just yeah. because one guy got right. hurt and right now we're we're moving a couple of companies together and we're doing and that happens you know i mean that's mm-hmm. just that's just just the way things are um you know so yeah and it work for anybody um there's there's some variations on this for how do you get members names and stuff in in a volunteer setting as opposed to a career setting much easier when we have a roster and we know who we know sure, who's working, yeah. we know who's, who's, where, yeah, right. But there are ways to, you know, there are some, some ways to do this really nicely.
1: Um, yeah, that's cool. I, I gotta definitely educate myself on that. I mean, I've seen it. I know about it. I don't know enough. I don't I barely know anything about it, but I know it exists. I mean, that, that's cool. That's interesting. Well, to we me. can, we can certainly show you that. Yeah. That's, I'd love to, I'd love to see it.
2: Um, but that's, that's something that, that I've worked on for a long time and, and it's come a long way. and, and, you know, it's, it, it's it's funny to watch computers in the fire service because what you see is is um, you know guys who, who've who've embraced it in their own world and you know can do all the little little running around with the phone and the thing and I got all kinds of technology and all and you go we're gonna put a computer on the on the fire truck I don't know how to work that you know and, and we <laughs> see that you know it's oh, funny. of course it's like, it's like of course it's yeah. really easy let me show you how to do this you know but you know so so the the, the whole concept of, of Trying to have a better sense. I mean, I always took took a look at you know we had the tags like most departments did tags for there, and and I was the unlucky person at the command post a bunch of times when here's forty tags. Well, what the hell is this? I yeah, you know but, you know what the tag is? I always said the tag is the tag is at the end of the fire when everyone picks up their tags in the command post and there's one tag left. That's the dead fireman in the building. You're right. That's it's all. Not, it did. It's not an
1: accurate system. It's not an accurate yeah. system. It's and, checking and we a box. Meet, yeah. Right.
2: You know, and so we need to do better than that. This is this is live. This is is, is changing as the scene evolves, um, and, and it's definitely the, the a better way to go.
1: Um, That's and, cool. Yeah, I'd like to see that
2: cap. I, I, yeah, yeah, we, we gotta we gotta work something out. I'd love to see we that. Could, we could certainly uh, uh, do something with that.
1: So, I mean, you know, with all these things, I mean, it's just it seems like you're really in tune with forwarding your department and forwarding your own knowledge, right? I mean, you're knowledgeable about, you know, European firefighting. You're knowledgeable about ISO standards and consolidation and reform and computer and technology. What Out of all of that, I mean, is there something I know Rob kind of asked the question before. I just wanted to repackage it maybe a little bit, you know there's gotta be some rewarding things that, that have happened that, you know, you take away from your 30 something years in the fire service. And, you know, I think, you know, it sounds like you are a a big draw of technology and advancement in your own department. I think you take great pride in that. And I think that that leaves a stamp um, of, of what you've done um, and so on. But is there anything that really sticks out? I mean, the accountability thing's pretty cool. I think that one's cool. Yeah.
2: You um, You know, right now I'm working on replacing, Orange engine twenty five, uh, that was the first rig that I. Yeah, purchased. you talked.
1: Okay, so yeah, you're a big so apparatus now, now guy. I've, Absolutely, now I've
2: literally. With this next one, I will have replace. I have already replaced now the 100 the entire fleet in my career. I I personally was involved in replacing, and uh, you know, with others, obviously. Sure. Uh, but um, and now I'm working on the very first replacing the very first one I did that you did. So it's kind of a neat little so so I I've I've done now what's uh six engines uh three trucks a rescue a collapse unit uh an mci unit a hazmat unit nice you know it's and they're all different obviously to some degree right
0: i mean having like there's a continuity of having you been there consistently throughout this and I think a lot of departments lose that continuity when they're going around on apparatus committee. Sometimes it's just natural, like you're not going to have the people that are available, but like there's got to be a strong point to talk about when, on, on that, like that people miss. Well, probably I mean, see it. The, you're right.
2: There's a couple of things there. The first thing, and, and it, it, it's very important and it's often missed, is what is the mission of this vehicle? Right. Um, I've seen and I've specced apparatus for other departments. And you watch sometimes that they have no idea why they're buying this truck other than the old one is old or the old one is broken down right. and we need to replace it. And it's like, what's the right truck now? And just because that was the right truck when you bought it 20 years ago does not mean that's the right truck now. So that's, that's the first big hurdle. The second big hurdle is um, I see a lot of departments that do not look at... Uh, things like they're um, there their, and, and don't talk with their mechanic. You know, yeah. What stuff breaks on the first one I did. The first thing I went to is what breaks, what takes the rigs out of service for long periods of time. And what are stupid things that break, right? You know, and, and just the ones that just drive you nuts. And, and there's some things you can't, just the way the technology and fire trucks, they won't build them. You know, there are certain things they they're, they're going to build it a certain way, whether you like it or not. And sometimes that, some some issues but there's a lot of little details that make it a whole lot easier some of them are even just is there enough room in the pump compartment for the mechanic to climb in there and fix stuff without disassembling half the vehicle right you know so that's a really important one and and, and boy does it help when your mechanic is happy with with what you have because uh, he can get the work done. So that's an important, that's a real important component. Um, The other important component is I've seen many departments that get hung up on certain little things on the vehicle that don't have anything to do with firefighting. Like what? Should we have the red and blue light bar with the red on the left and the blue on the right or vice versa because our state doesn't care which side you put it on and, and... Honest to God, I had one. I had a committee that spent forty hours debating should the red be on the left or the blue be on the left. And you sit there and you go, you do know that it takes four screws out. You pull the the, the things off and you can swap them and you can just see it when it comes here.
1: It's just priorities. I mean, it's you know, yeah. but
2: it's priorities that are really have nothing to do with what's important
1: of course but but
2: to see to them it is i i I get this sometimes but
1: but but i'm not what i'm what i'm not saying is that that's okay either like you know the thing is first is you know it's firefighting first but we all know that there's departments and you know you have you have rock star departments and you have subpar departments i mean it's like anything in this world right you got great and you got terrible and then there's everything in between and so you know, if you want to build your truck around what LED light bar you put on, it's fantastic. Good luck with it. But I can assure you this, when those guys get called upon to go to work, they're not going to work, you yeah. know? Like, it's, it's that type of mentality. So, I mean, all of that exists and all that's out there. I think what you hit on with the mechanic is huge because a lot of volunteer departments don't have in-house mechanics. And so they don't have somebody to lean on other than the service company that typically is the manufacturer right well or so, the dealer, or the, yeah. right, the or dealer. The deal, right the dealer right so but even then yep you
2: know, but even then there's a lot of times but, that you could go to them and right, say well, that's what i was, really want more that's airport. what i was getting at right you know yeah. we the
1: couple times we've been to a few different factories all the cities travel there to inspect their trucks on the on the post construction with their mechanics and they bring out more mechanics than they do firefighters you know, that that were part of building that drug and i mean
0: yeah. these Santa. guys
1: had their coveralls on it was san diego
0: yeah, right? San Diego, uh, Sacramento, and San yeah. um, I mean, it was so
1: cool to sit there and talk with them the in, the, in the bay. What they would do is all their trucks came off the showroom floor, and they went to a back bay, and those things were torn apart. And they were literally torn apart under the truck on creepers. They put the trucks up on lifts for them, and the inspection went on for like four days to ensure that everything, one, in the spec was there. But two, they leaned on their mechanics to really educate the committee as to what was needed because you're right. They're seeing the preventative side. They're seeing the repair side um, and downtime. And, you know, for any frontline, for any chief or administration officer or operations officer, the biggest issue is downtime. Yeah. Right? You can't have well, your equipment down.
2: Well, we just went through this four weeks ago. We were out at SVI doing the mid-inspection on a new collapse unit that, that we've done. And my mechanic is looking at this SVI. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and my mechanic is is looking at this thing and going, going, how do I change the batteries? What do you mean? Now this is the first apparatus that I've been involved in that's a two door cab, right? Okay, almost every rig, every rig I've done this has been a four door cab, and where are the batteries on almost every one of these? Under the passenger doors. Right. So you tilt the cab there, are the batteries right there. Well, this rig. There's box over the top of them, okay? He's going, there's no way to physically change. I would have to take the box off the rig, off the chassis. This is a three-week job to change a battery. This is insane. Yeah. And everyone's sitting there scratching their heads and and all the engineers and all of the fabricators and stuff in the factory and and they're first rate. And they're going, you know, we've never really changed a battery before. Yeah, they're putting it brand new. They're putting it all together. It works great. Out the door it goes. They're not seeing it in seven right. years or right. whatever the right. time so is yeah. that the thing, you know, three yeah. years or whatever. Right, it is right, right. Right. So he's sitting there going, so we spent a couple hours with the engineers and they ended up putting in hatches and stuff that he's now happy. He goes, it's now about an hour job. He goes, on the other rigs, it's a half hour job. This is going to take, but I could do it.
3: Yeah.
2: Wow. I mean, you know, and, and I'm not a mechanic. I don't do those. Sure, kind of, I, get you know, so I get it. I get it. But he pointed out so many little details that he goes, "This is going to break. It's going to chafe. This is going to break here. This this airline or this thing." And yeah. Because he's done all of these things, so you absolutely have to have your mechanic a hundred percent involved in yeah. this. And even if it's the dealer that that you're buying the rig from, getting their mechanical people on board as opposed to just their salespeople really is critical. Yep. Just uh, yeah. you can't you can't not do that. Um, we also got our safety people into it. And it was just in looking, we we did a 10-year, before I started, we did a 10-year look back of what injuries were occurring that were rig-related. And I was stunned at the amount of, of injuries that occurred from crap falling out of compartments onto people's feet and shins and stuff like that. And usually in the firehouse, not in gear, you know, just they went and opened a compartment and something tumbled out and, okay, we can't be doing that. We have to secure stuff a little better and, you know, things of those nature, you know, and we didn't necessarily think about it because we always had it that way. You know, uh, all the fittings were all in in milk crates, you know, and now it's, no, 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 everything's
0: mounted. I I always, uh, just in my career in the fire service, have come across firefighter after firefighter who have torn rotator cuffs and shoulders that have been blown out from removing a fan out of a compartment because that every day just reaching into the back and yoking it out. And it's just that repetition eventually has, they've like retired on these injuries and they've like, when I remember one guy I talked to and he's like, yeah, he's like, I he's like, it's one thing I really dislike about my career is that I did all these great things and a fan in a compartment took me off
2: the job. Yeah. So a lot of it is looking at, and we have, we have something that I'm, that I'm looking forward to on this new collapse unit is, is, we carry a Stanley uh, hydraulics uh, system on this particular rig, which runs pavement breakers and all kinds of other neat, heavy-duty things. But you know, it's 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 basically the generator for it is you know the uh, you know the old jaws of life motor on super duper steroids because it weighs like 400 pounds and it's you know six times the size of one of those. And you watch guys in the past taking it out of the compartment, and it's like, egad! You, you know, it takes four guys to lift it out. so yeah. someone's, someone's right. going to get hurt. Right. You know, we always tried to run it on. You know, just pull out the tray and let it sit there and run on the tray. But you can't always. You got to get it to the to the to the rescue site. And um, we looked at you know what kind of ramps could we do, what kind of different systems and all. And uh, this rig is coming. This new one's coming where there's a electric uh, winch built into the compartment. Nice to raise and lower this to the ground. Yeah, cool. So it literally is gonna be a one figure you know, one guy, one finger, and it's on wheels, you know, you wheel it around. But you know, things like that, you know, you know, what's that worth? Yeah, it's gonna cost me a couple thousand dollars. It's gonna save millions of dollars on a long term disability. Sure. Yeah. You know, so. No, that's cool. Well, wow, I can't wait to see it. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was due to be it was due to be delivered three weeks ago. They're running a little a that's, little behind the, the schedule, which everybody. is common.
1: I don't know any yeah. manufacturer that's making deliveries anymore. Yeah, you know,
2: <laughs> so. it's, it's part of course. Uh, I was I was hoping to get out the uh, second trip out to Colorado uh, uh, before the snows hit, which yeah. I believe is today. Oh really? Yeah. Jeez. So, no, no thanks. Uh, yeah. yeah. But that those are those are some of the thing. You know, looking at those kind of things, looking at operationally, um, you're looking at the whole cancer thing, and and uh, the cancer thing with apparatus is fascinating to watch because the cancer thing. You know, the first thing is that you see that there's a lot of manufacturers are pushing clean cab. Ooh, this is the big thing, clean cab, and it's fascinating to watch because there's a good sized sector of the fire service that is bought into this. and Wow, that's a great idea and there's a large portion of the fire service saying this is bullshit I'm getting off the truck to work you know we're not doing that clean cab shit and somewhere in the, there's a middle ground that's yeah. the right way to go you know finding that is is the hard part
0: it, it's hard to find the definition of there a clean cab because there isn't i told because I told somebody somebody because someone said it was they were like it's bullshit they've taken the SCBA out of the cab and and this and that. And I said, you know, I, I get it. And I was like, you're, you're focused on the SCBA, right? And he's like, yeah, because you're not going to get out and you're not going to be ready to work. And I was like, there's a really well-known fire chief who did this after his guys wouldn't put their seatbelt on because they were trying to put their packs on in Phoenix, Arizona. And nobody ever was like that, man, that Alan Brunacini, he stopped his guys from being aggressive and getting in there and making grabs. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and I said like so. It's and it's always funny. I, I you know I I point that out to people, and they're like, they, like they stop. They're like, oh wow, you're right. Like, you, know, what's, you know what? You did do that. And, and,
2: and I put our packs in the rigs. I like yeah. the packs in the rigs. I have nothing against it. But you know, one of the problems of putting packs in the rigs is watch carefully when guys with packs on get out, particularly if you don't do a raised roof, the ten or twelve inch raised roof, and you watch how out of position physically they're in stepping down and the chances more much greater for taking a tumble or pulling something you know just because just because of the way uh you have to physically get in and out of the cab with your scba well if you get hurt getting off the rig going going into the before you get to the fire building you're useless we, you know, we, so, we, so and i'm not saying take the packs out but but no, yeah. even that's a part of this but what i looked at with the clean cab is i think most of the clean cab that's being sold is very attractive to some administrators and some departments that are, they're buying them because ooh, i'm protecting my guys
1: the the whole concept right i mean ultimately you know yes cancer is a massive issue in the fire service it always has been but it's more so now right it's on the forefront right and so the the whole clean cab concept was really an industry knee jerk reaction to something that became big overnight you know nowadays little topics become very big overnight it only takes a few things for it to really flare up whereas 20 years ago 30 years ago it would take 5 to 7 years before a small yeah. you know a topic yeah. became a, an issue right an epidemic if you will and so Every manufacturer had to scramble to come up with this clean concept because there are some departments that are riding that wave and saying like, hey, look what we're doing for our membership. However, you know, on the back end of it, is it done correctly? Is it functional? Is it. Is it worth what they're saying? It's worth. Is it doing what it's supposed to be doing, um, and so on. And so, I don't think we're there yet. You know, everything takes a tried and true method. I don't uh, think we're there. Oh no, it's we're not even close. Right. But yeah. some of this is what,
2: more concept of what do we what do we need to have happen. So to start with, okay. My issue is, and and what I've been teaching and and, and preaching is what's important is is nothing dirty goes into the cab. Now. When you're coming out of the firehouse, responding to the call, shouldn't your gear be clean? Right. It should all be clean. Okay. Your pack should be clean. Your gear should be clean. That's fine to put all that in the cab. Right. Okay. I got no problem with that. Okay. When we get to the fire, okay, and we do whatever it is we do, and you come out, and ideally, we should be doing more decon at the scene, and we've started doing that. But there are times you can't do it for a host of reasons. Weather is a big consideration. It's
0: negative 20 out.
2: Right. Okay. We get that. Well, Let's start with, and the first thing was is, is take all the SCBA and throw them in garbage bags before you put them back in the cab. Just tie it up, throw it in the cab. Now it's not touching anything in the cab. Right, It's a garbage bag. It's not a big deal. If I get another job on the way back to the firehouse, I rip open the bag and I put the pack back on. You know, So it's not the end of the world on that. I get back to the firehouse and we go and we clean the pack somewhere. All right. Same with the turnout gear. Okay, Now, the situation, again, the weather is so bad, I can't even clean the turnout gear. Well, I take a garbage bag, and I throw it over the seat, and over the seat cushion, and I sit on top of a garbage bag going home, and now the seat stays clean. All right. And now when we get back to the firehouse, we throw the garbage bags out. You know, you know there, and we've, big... we've kept yeah. the cab clean. The, the general issue of keep the cab clean. Well,
0: I, we're, we're coming out with wipes to wipe stuff off us. Why aren't we having a wipe for the cab afterwards? Some of us do. Yeah. Uh,
2: but... but the idea is, is, and the the first thing we found by putting putting bags on the on the seats that the guys really like, is when you do an EMS call an hour later, the seat isn't wet. I was in the fire; my bunker gear is damp, wet, whatever it sure. is. I sit on the seat; it absorbs the thing. Now I get in, in a uniform pant because I'm going to an EMS call or a minor, you know, you know, investigation of something, whatever. And you know, now I'm sitting on a wet seat. Now I'm miserable and i was like i get it yeah you know wow it was a big deal to put a garbage bag on the on the seat um one of the seat manufacturers just came out with and and our next rig we will have is the seat covers zip off so you can actually buy a spare set of seat covers and now you can throw the seat cover in the washing machine or the extractor and and done oh, okay i, I expect the seats are gonna get dirty even if they're not getting contaminated, they're going to get dirty.
0: Do you think there's a value in second sets of turnout gear? Absolutely. Because that's one thing I find and, and it really more frustrating. So, is more so, do
2: the busier you are, the more important it becomes. Um, what we've done on that uh, is, is, and it's a good cycle. We found, you know, NFPA says 10 years. And like NFPA or not, um, the reality is, is there's liability beyond 10 years. And in some cases, and we found, like, for example, we can't send guys to training because it's not our training facility. They say, you know, they'll inspect it. If it's older than ten years, go home. You're you're not you're not training. So we have to keep it to to that ten year. And what we found is is most of our gear though won't last ten years. Our our level of activity, right? We get seven years or so, and then it's starting to fall apart. Yeah. So what we've gone to is is a cycle of try to replace all the gear at five year intervals. That way. My current gear, my first-line gear is zero to five. My secondary gear is five to ten. It'll last more than the seven years because I took it out of service at five, and it only occasionally goes in, and I can get it to ten. Yeah. You know, and and now I have a nice cycle on this. It also solves the technology issue of turnout gear keeps changing, evolving, whatever. Every five years, I'm going to do an upgrade. Every five years, it's a nice, it's easy to budget for or easier to budget for, you know, and, and and it moves us along and we don't get this kind of desperate, we're at seven, eight years. Yeah, theoretically, I go two more years, but I the need year a grant. ain't going to last, yeah. you know. And, and even if you're working on grants, one of the problems becomes is the feds won't give you a grant if your gear is yet less than 10 years, you know, you got to hit that 10 year mark. So eight years, it's falling apart. Too bad we're not giving you money. You know, so at least at this point you have a chance of maybe yeah. even granting some of the stuff.
1: Yeah. No, that's good, man. That's good planning. I love that. I love hearing how other departments plan because you know, you you think that you have it set and then you hear something new and you go, "Hmm, that works really well." Like I like the sound of that. You know, I love sharing those ideas. So thank you, Cap. That was uh that was good. I appreciate that.
2: So
0: well, Where are we, Robert? Where about Hour and a half, and a half in. Yeah. Wrap it up and...
1: I feel like we could talk for hours with this guy.
0: Barry Scott, he's Scott, Scott. Sure. yeah.
1: He's... I, I love smart people because I'm not. And so <laughs> when I sit at the table with smart people, I just, you know, I feel a little bit smarter about myself. You you would think I'd feel dumber, but I feel smarter because I'm like, yeah, I'm agreeing with him and I'm going to adopt everything he told me tonight. Well, Fanta- so I've things, just got smarter tonight.
2: One of the things we always said we always say, though, is is that that uh, truly smart people are the ones who bring in others who... who you know, help help them out and, and make it do better. It's the ones who exclude others that, that are not very smart.
0: Got that? Yeah. I didn't exclude anybody. why did you <laughs> look at me? Because
2: like, you're sitting across the table. us. Yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah,
1: that's right. Taking notes. You're the you're the you're the other guy taking notes over yeah. here. But
0: anyway, well, yeah, I Jeremy mean, ISO class. I, so. I'm sure there's
1: I'm sure there's so many more things we missed and didn't talk about, but that just means we're gonna have to get you back. That's but, doable. Um,
0: yeah, absolutely. But and hopefully, we got the city of New Rochelle and get to see some of the apparatus innovations and stuff. Yeah, we we didn't even really
1: talk about, we didn't even talk about your
0: fire career, you know, but
1: uh, we're going to get back to that. Um, But I mean, it's, you know, an hour and a half in, people tend to start falling asleep on podcasts after an hour and a half when they're listening. So we're going to cut it, but you're always welcome, brother. I mean, this was fantastic. And I'm looking forward to doing some more stuff with you um, down the road, especially um, with the apparatus innovations and things. I think there's a, there's a great future here. That we could do some great projects together, and I'd love to do that. Excellent. And, um, well, we have
2: some neat stuff that yeah uh, that uh, we'd love to uh, we'd love to see uh, out there more and awesome. Um, there's some things that no nobody has seen in this country before. I've had some engineers kind of go, I don't know if we can make that or not. It says, yeah, you can make that. Just do it. That's cool. And they have you know, and <laughs> you know, it's been it's been that's been a fun. That's been fun uh, to, to end up doing doing yeah. some neat things like that. I, I think
0: that's one of the cool things about the platform, especially with Jeremy and uh, the apparatus nerd banner that we can fly here is having seen some cool stuff and then talking to other people and then being like, no, we can't do that. And it's like, no, 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 you can. And I like, mean,
1: that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. I mean, the reason why we share the innovations is even if it's the most remedial thing that 90% of the fire service already knows exists, there's that 10% that was like, wow, I've never seen that before. We could incorporate yeah. that into our rig. And if we get one person to say, like, hey, thanks to your content, you know, we did this and it works better for us than we were yesterday, we win. And so that's why we're doing it, right? Ch- tips, tricks, and hacks. That's what no, it's all and about.
2: And there's a lot of neat stuff out there. And some, Absolutely. Of, it's, some of it's just recycled. Some of it, uh, when you, when you come What's by i'll show you I, I got one thing i we've put on a couple of our truck companies that was standard operating procedure when we had horse-drawn water towers okay and then we lost it for 75 years it was gone and it's like it worked Dan, we should try this Holy crap <laughs> that's crazy you know and guess what it works great yeah you know so so there's there's you know uh, Know, we're 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 not taking credit for inventing any of this shit. Right. We're just we're just taking credit for for stealing it from somebody else.
0: What is that? What is the one one thing that's on that, that you brought back
2: on, on on trucks that are not quints? Boy, can we spend some time on quints because there's I'm not a quint fan, uh, but um, we have um, uh, two rear mount ladders that are true ladders. No no pumps on them that have um, deck guns. Uh, pre-pipe deck guns in addition to the ladder pipe.
0: Oh, yes, yes, I've seen this, uh, yeah.
2: So when you're sitting in front of a fire building, which is where the truck is going to be, we can just plug in, just you open a little compartment door on the side of the rig and pop a five-inch line in there, and I got deck guns going. You know, so, you know, the deck gun on the engine is great, but where is it? It's up the block somewhere. Yeah,
0: it's a building and a half past the fire building. At least. I love seeing <laughs> Mack
1: tower ladders, like the old CFs, <clears throat> open cab max and then they got a big ass deck gun on top or whatever you want to call it everybody's got their uh you know yeah like a stand gun or whatever gun. it's not a gun steve cowlin used to correct me all the time he you know i'd always say wagon oh, battery, oh, battery, yeah, battery yeah right battery. yeah exactly <laughs> so that's cool but anyway we uh we had to take a short break but we're back now but uh but anyway bird thank you thanks for joining us and yeah, uh, thank the you trip for over inviting to the me. studio of course man and um you know, it's it's so important for us. We we talk with so many different people, and the one thing that um, I'm proud of, and I'm, I'm sure Rob is too, and, and and so on, is that every guest we have brings something different, you know, to the table. And I think tonight was fantastic. Um, yeah, you know, there was just a lot of like nuggets in here for fire chiefs to the to the rank and file to you know and so on. And we talked about things that we usually don't talk about. And um, and I love that, man. I love bringing something different every time we sit here. I certainly learned a bunch of things from you tonight, and I'm looking forward to cool. our friendship as we go forward because I'm going to be leaning on you for uh, just some smart things because I'm, I'm not there. So this guy's pretty good, Rob. Good find.
0: <laughs> you know, when they put him out in the corner yeah. and they say, take, take me home, it's uh, no. That's
1: fantastic. But yeah. anyway, well, thank you. Rob, finish this up, man.
0: Everybody, this is Rob National Fire Radio here in the studio finishing up with Barry Nietzsche, our host of the most, Jeremy Donch. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you guys next week. Be safe.